Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael and I'm here today with a special guest co-host Chris from the Redemption podcast. Chris, say hello to everyone. Hello everyone. And we're here today to do a review episode, but this one's going to be a little bit different because it is a video game. Played it on Steam. It's basically like an RPG game that I was offered a stream key to to do some testing and, and do a review. And Chris hasn't played it. Only I have. Uh, so it's going to be a little bit one-sided. Chris is going to be asking some questions to try to help draw out some information. Quick spoiler to the end. We only talk about things here at the RPG Academy we love or at least like. So the fact that we're doing this episode at all should tell you that we at least like the game. Now, whether we love it, you'll have to stick around to find out. But at a bare minimum, it's kind of fun. So the game we're talking about today is called Wildermyth or Wildermyth. I would assume Wildermyth, but I don't know. Uh, and it's from World Walker Games. It's currently in beta. I don't actually know how far along in the process it is. Uh, when I played it last, which a lot of what I talk about today will be through the last playthrough that I played through, um, I got an update. I don't, again, I don't know what version it's on. Don't know when it's coming out. Those are probably things I should know. If I eventually figure those out, I'll put them in the show notes. So to start with, again, I'm going to be talking kind of specifically about the last playthrough that I did. In the beta that I was given access to, there are multiple versions of the game. Like there's missions, I guess. Missions. That would be a good thing. You have different missions you can choose from. I chose the one that's called Age of Ulstrix, which is a three-chapter story, according to the information presented, is aimed at new players. So I thought that made sense for me. I played through the scenario three times. Each time I made different choices. And again, I'm going to talk about the, the last one that I went through. Uh, one of the first things I mentioned I thought was kind of funny is when you pick your difficulty, uh, the levels are based off of authors. So you go from C.S. Lewis to H.P. Lovecraft. That is, that is your difficulty range. Huh. Uh, I went with uh, J.K. Rowling, which is uh, sort of, it's not C.S. Lewis, which I would, I would equate to story mode on a lot of contemporary games, okay. where H.P. Lovecraft would be God mode. So it's the one step up from story mode, and that's the one that I went through. Uh, so, Chris, I, again, I sent you some screenshots to kind of help you figure out what we're doing. Do you have any questions to start with? Well, the authors you pick, does that change the content or the rating of it? The only thing I understand is it changes the difficulty of combat. Now, it, it could do more than that. And actually, I pick J.K. Rowling every time. Again, I was trying to see how the game felt different with different choices, but the choices made within the story of the game, not necessarily those settings. So it's possible. I don't know. Okay. I just didn't know if you were saying it changed the monsters you fight to, you know, teddy bears to Cthulhu when you go to the different levels. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think so. The, the monsters themselves, again, and, and the art overall is one of the things I, I do want to talk about. I don't want to use the word childish because I don't think that represents the art, but it looks to me like a children's pop-up book. Like all the art sort of feels that way to me. Almost, uh, there's definitely some like um, fable-ish. So it's like fantasy, but it's mm-hmm. not grim and gritty, you know, but it's also not childish and goofy. It's just sort of, I don't, how would you describe the art? Because I, maybe I'm just not have the vocabulary to do it justice. Uh, User-friendly. Okay. I I would say that, well, and all ages friendly. Just looking at the screenshots, there's no gore on it. It, It's very easy to see what's going on, and it's easy to kind of tell the the story of the picture without getting too graphic with it. But yeah, definitely the the pop-up book image for me 
was pretty consistent. Uh, the enemies you faced, your characters as you controlled them, the scenery, everything looked sort of like a storybook, uh, but with pop-up images, which I actually liked. Um, again, it's not grim and gritty, but uh, for this game, I thought it fit. Uh, it was kind of fun, and uh, there's some of the things that we'll get into in a minute. You can interact with that scenery, and it's just kind of fun the way that that works. Okay. So I started a new game, and again, I chose that uh, Age of Ulstrix. And the first thing that happens is you get to select three starting characters. And uh, basically, you, there's a little pop-up, and there's like three it's only a comic book. So you've got like a panel, and then within it, there's three almost like comic book panels of three different characters, and you can individually randomize them, or you can randomize all of them. It's, you're not necessarily rolling for like stats, you're just rolling for like, it's gender, so male or female are the only two presented, and then sort of like personality traits, like you have like romantic goofball, or uh, romantic, so there's like cowardly romantic, aloof coward, and it also tells you what classes they can become. And the only ones I've encountered so far are Warrior, Hunter, and Mystic. And from what I can tell from my playthroughs, Warrior is kind of like your fighter, Hunter is kind of like a ranger, and Mystic is your mage, sorcerer type class. Okay, do those tags, like the romantic hothead, does that affect how your characters interact with other NPCs? Uh, not other NPCs, but with each other. And this happens very quickly in the game where you can build relationships and even rivalries. Uh, so in this last playthrough, I had a romantic relationship between two of my PCs, and I ended up having a rivalry between two PCs. And both of those things can uh, incur benefits to the game. Like when you're in combat, uh, in one of the cases in this game I played through, a, a creature attacked love interest A and did damage. So then when the next character attacked, who was the opposite love interest, they did additional damage because their love had just been hit by this creature. Okay. And then um, if rivals are attacking the same creature, again, this one-time playthrough, this is the way it looked to me, that they do extra damage because they're competing against each other against the same foe. But I do know that there are mechanical, uh, I don't say benefits, there are mechanical things that happen based off of relationships that occur in the game. Now, I have control of that uh, because kind of like a, a, the game I think of is Knights of the Old Republic. Mass Effect as well, that sometimes when you're interacting, you have the different range of options. So you can be like snarky or friendly or whatever. Okay. In this, you have the option of like picking the response. It's like friendship, rivalry, or romantic. And those are the three that I'm most familiar with. So you can kind of push the characters towards or away from each other based off of those choices. Um, and again, in the, in the one that I have this last setting, the romantic relationship was between two characters. The rivalry became came about because of that relationship because it was kind of like a like a love triangle, okay. and one person was eventually left out. So they then became a rival because they lost the love interest to the other person. Interesting. And this starts right away. Like this, there isn't like six levels in we start dealing with this. Like first, second, third choice, you start having the option of pushing these relationships one way or the other. I, I did only explore a few of them. But it definitely makes the game feel different when you do that. So for this uh, game, I picked Nanandra, who was a female presenting future warrior. Personality traits were greedy romantic. Ursi, a female presenting future hunter, who was a cowardly romantic. And then Boric, a male presenting future mystic, who's an aloof coward. Okay. And when you talk about those relationships with the, with the uh, different characters you're playing... It reminds me of the old Baldur's Gate game 
where if you had the alignments and they were next to each other oh. in the party, they would actually attack each other. I wonder if it goes that far or if they just kind of butt heads a little bit. I, you know, I don't know for sure. Again, going through this playthrough, there, there's a part, um, you start with three characters when you start the game, but you actually start the, the game with one and there's like a little like cut scene sort of like story that you're going through as that character is going through the woods. Character A is going to character B's house. They find character B's, B's house on fire. So we cut to what they call missions, which are essentially the combats, which are like these 3D isometric views, grid-like combats. And there's no battle, but but you find your second character. Okay. So now you have the two characters together, and then you have your first actual fight. Once that fight's over, you then switch to the solo character. You get a little backstory of theirs, and then they all meet back up. And then so within like ten minutes, you're you have your core group of three. Okay. But one of the things that the game does it allows you to recruit additional heroes, and each time you recruit a hero, you get that option of like randomizing them until you get the type of hero that you want, like by their personality traits. You get to pick what sort of personality traits they have, like cowardly, romantic, aloof, coward, romantic, hothead, that kind of thing. But once you bring them into your party, you get to train them based off of who you already have in your party. And so you can choose what class, warrior, hunter, or mystic they go into based off of who you have trained them. Interesting. So you get control over what class they start once they actually join the party. Is there a level up process then for there, your there characters? There is. I, um, I I didn't see anywhere where it was tracking experience points, and maybe it does, and I just didn't find that uh, setting somewhere. But after certain battles, certain characters leveled up, and it wasn't everybody at the same time. So this appeared to be either everyone gets experience points based on what they do. So it's possible that just the characters that get the most kills of the bad guys level up faster or it could be based off of what class they are they progress faster or slower but yes they do level up as they go and i'll talk a little bit about that some of the choices i made when we got there so yeah so oh yeah time that's the big thing so time is a big part of this game it's, it's one of the biggest resources you have when you move from place to place it takes time when you train uh new characters it takes time when you heal it takes time and the longer you take you're giving the enemies more time to scheme and do their evil things. So that's one of the biggest choices you have in the game is how much time do you spend doing things versus moving to place to place to try to explore and, and, and you know battle and take out your, your bad guys. If you just sit around and do nothing for a long time, uh, months and even years can pass and the bad guys grow stronger and their schemes grow more dangerous. So you, you can't waste time, but you have to spend time to do things. Wow. That's an interesting mechanic. I like that. It gives you a sense of urgency to keep the game flowing and not just do the five-minute dungeon. You know. You... Yeah, and you can't just like because uh, because the first two times I played through this, I lost characters like crazy. I was getting people killed all the time because I didn't quite understand how the healing worked. You have to stop and and rest to heal. So I was going place to place quickly, and I just kept getting people killed. It like really. A, a lot, but I was moving very quickly. Uh, once I realized kind of how that worked, the, the third time I actually didn't lose anybody, but the game advanced quickly. Was more things were happening, which can be good and bad. How is the combat? Is it a turn-based combat or is it real time? How does that flow? So it is turn-based. From my experience, it, it it looks like it just goes one, two, three through all of your characters, and then 
the bad guys. I, I, I did not figure out or understand any sort of like, you know, this character's faster, so they go twice before this other character. It's, it, it appears, at least in my limited playthrough, each of your characters gets one turn. All the bad guys go. Each of your characters get one turn. Uh, on your turn, you have two action points. And with these action points, you can either move or you can attack. So you can move, move, and then that's all you can do. Um, if you just attack, I don't think you can attack again. I don't didn't have any instance where that came up. Other characters have special abilities based off of their class. All the characters can put out fires because, like in the, again, the first scene, you go to a friend's house and there's fires. One of the things you can do is extinguish the fires. I don't think that takes an action, but it must take some sort of resource because you can't do it forever. Um, you can also you can open doors. Opening doors is an action because it reveals new parts of the map and if there's enemies it reveals enemies which then means they can attack you uh some of your characters have ranged attacks like your your hunter essentially kind of like a ranger in my mind uh, starts off with a bow they can shoot the bow a greater range uh some of the uh, abilities they get later is called through shot so you can actually shoot through an ally square and not hit them or if it's lined up you can actually hit two bad guys if they're back to back they also have a Hide and or uh, move si- hide, hide and move silently type spill, uh, skill called the Grace Step. Uh, so they basically can move through scenery and they can move through enemies undetected. There's like a percentage chance that this happens, and if they get sneak attack damage, basically if they attack from there. Your Mystic. This is the one that's kind of interesting to me because I like to play wizards and sorcerers. It's like my favorite class. Me too. So the Mystic in this game has abilities called Interfusions. And they basically interact with the environment. They can interfuse with rocks, with bookshelves, with fire, uh, with plants, whatever. And once they're interfused, they then can do something with that. So if they interfuse with a rock, they can cause that rock to explode and do like shatter damage. Or they can take rock and create an armor around themselves or another ally that gives them temporary defense bonuses. If they interfuse with like a, a, a plant, they can reach out with like vines, grab the enemy and pull that enemy to the base of the plant. So you can move it through fire, which will damage it. Or you can move it away from an, in, uh, from an ally who doesn't need to be attacked again or they're going to die. You interact with fire. It does like a fire damage. So you choose what you interfuse with. You can interfuse with up to two things at a time. I'm guessing at higher levels, maybe it can be more. And then you choose what to do with those interfusions. And there is a range how far away something can be that you can interfuse with and also how far away a bad guy can be before you can do something. Because if I interfuse with a rock next to me, but the only bad guy is 20 squares away, I can't do anything with that interfusion against that enemy until they get closer. But it's kind of interesting because it makes you really pay attention to the scenery. What is around? You know, what do you want to interfuse with? So, so one of the choices very quickly for me in this playthrough is as you leveled up, I chose an, inter, uh, an ability that let me interfuse with rocks at a, or I think it was on Earth Mage or Earthbound. Anything okay. earthy, I was able to do more powerful interfusions with. So when that happened, I started being more cognizant of, okay, where are the rocks in this scenery? And positioning my other heroes to bring the bad guys closer to the thing that I wanted to interfuse with because I was better at it. And then the last thing I'll say about the combat before we, we move on a little bit, is there is an ability called wall, W-A-L-L-E-N. If two characters are next to each other, then they provide a defense bonus to each other. So it's kind of like the opposite of flanking. If we're next to each other, it's like a shield wall sort of situation. 
it's harder to be damaged. And there is actually flanking in the game as well. If you have a perfect flank on a creature, you don't miss your attack. You, you automatically hit. Damage, obviously, is random. Uh, if, I think there might be dice rolling behind the scenes, kind of like you know, Baldur's Gate or Neverwinter Nights that you just don't see. Because I know there's, in a minute, like once you get through combat, you get to these cutscenes, and sometimes you have story choices to make, and they will present a statistical, like a percentile range of like success. So like if you, you know, you have the choice of doing A or not doing A, and it will tell you you have a X percentage chance of being successful if you try to do A. And if you don't get A, then bad things can happen. Huh. Sounds very interesting. Sounds like you were trying to make Toph from uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. I've never watched Avatar The Last Airbender. <sighs> you are missing out. I know. Everyone tells me it's amazing. I apologize. I just, it's just never got in front of me. Gra- grab the kids. It's awesome. Toph basically puts rocks on herself and runs around punching people, and she can do really cool things with throwing people around with rocks. And Yeah, I would say that's, that's kind of similar to that, yeah. How much of a learning curve is there with the game mechanics? You described a lot of paying attention to the environment and different things you can do. How in-depth is that, and how long did it take you to learn the game mechanics? So keep in mind, I'm admittedly dumb. And I don't play a lot of video games anymore. I wish I did. I just, I don't have time. I do a lot of other things. I'll disagree with the first part of your statement. <laughs> okay, I'm really dumb. Uh, so I played the same same setup three times. Uh, I think I've got like maybe eight hours total into the game. I don't, I, if I pulled up Steam, I could probably tell you for sure, but I don't have Steam on the computer I'm using to record this. But no more than eight, it, less than eight probably. Okay. The first two times I played it, I made a lot of really bad choices. I got a lot of characters killed. This third time I played through it, I just about won every battle easily. I didn't lose any characters. And like I took some notes as I was going at some of the notes I'm using to do this review with. And, and I mentioned quickly won the fight. Quickly won the fight. So the learning curve for me is the third time through, I started to kind of figure out what I was doing, made a lot better uh, tactical choices in the combat, made a lot better choices as I was exploring the lands and I feel like by far I'm not an expert, but the third time through, I enjoyed the game more. I felt like I knew what I was doing a lot more. And when I made a choice, it was a choice I made because of a reason, not just I have to make a choice now to continue the game. So let's say there's probably, I, don't, I won't put a time limit on it, but I'll say by the third time you play it, you'll be doing good. All right. Is that because the mechanics are so in-depth or the tactics are so in-depth? Not necessarily mechanics, but so... So the way it essentially works, so once you have your three characters together, you have a battle, all three of them working together, and you defeat the first of your bad guys. And then you go to a cutscene where you get to decide, you know, are we going to stay together and become adventurers or not? Of course you're going to. You get to come up with a name that your adventuring party will be known as, and that, that adventuring party can gain renown. And then it moves to a worldview where you... You have unexplored areas. It's like a fog of war. And then you have ex- areas that are not explorable yet because they're just too far away. So you have like four or five right around you. And you pick which one you want to go to. And then you have to select who all is going. And for me, I always selected everyone, but you don't have to. And so you could divide your people up and have one go here, one go here, and one go there and try to explore quickly because, again, time is a resource. But the game, if you have less than three heroes in a group, they can be subjected to ambushes. If you have three or more, they can't. So if you divide them up, there's a good chance they'll get attacked and there's a good chance they're going to die, especially early on. So I, I would move to an area. 
I would uncover it. In, in almost every area, there's two things that you can do. You can set up defenses against future attacks, and then you pick how you're going to do it. And it can be, you know, you train archers to shoot from the uh, battlements. You train warriors to fight. You dig trenches. You can do like magical traps. You pick which character of yours is the lead in setting up the defenses and what you are trying to do. And then time passes. It takes 20 days. But now that place is defensible against future attacks, which can happen. And there's almost always a place that you can go to attack the enemy directly. You can do either or, or you can do both, but both take time. And I figured out when I needed to defend, when I needed to attack. Uh, when I got into battles, I was able to go through them much quickly because I learned the tactics. As you're fighting, you gain what are called legacy points. And this is something I did not understand at all the first time I played, actually the first two. That's how you recruit new heroes. So you'll get a little indicator like, hey, there's a new recruit available at one of these places that you have to travel to it. So if it's far away, again, it takes time. Uh, you can go there. You can spend a legacy point or a certain number of legacy points to gain them into your group. Or at certain points, it'll pop up and say your enemies are scheming. You can spend legacy points to try to slow them down. Every time you fight something, the next time you fight it, it's more powerful because it learns from your tactics and it learns from its mistakes. So like one of the creatures you fight right away is called a roe, R-O-E. It kind of looks like a dire reindeer with some like <laughs> odd coloring. Okay. After you beat it the first time, when you fight it the second time, because again, when you go into a combat, it'll actually tell you these are what you're fighting. It'll tell you before the battle, these are the foes that you will interact with. And it gives them levels. So you have like row, and then you have like row one, row two, and each additional number, it has better powers. So sometimes there'll be a cutscene that says your enemies are advancing. You can spend legacy points to keep the row from advancing. All right. So instead of being a row two next time I fight it, it'll be row one still because I used a legacy point. I don't know narratively how this makes any sense, but just mechanically, legacy points are a resource you have to slow down the bad guy's plans and or recruit new heroes into your group. Um, I was able to get up to four heroes this playthrough. I never got more than four. And then the one time I accidentally split them up and both of them got ambushed. But we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> so it probably would have helped you if they'd put in a little tutorial that explained the legacy points. Yes. How in-depth do their tutorials get? Well, and, and so this is the thing. There very well may be a tutorial that does that that I did not. I didn't see, and again, I can't look at the screen right now because I don't, I'm on a mm -hmm. different computer, but I don't remember seeing. Hello, Michael from the future here. Just wanted to jump in to say that yes, the game does have a tutorial section. It's on the main page. And once you click in it, you have a bunch of different sections. It will teach you like how to move the camera, how flanking works, how action points work, the gray plane, interfusions, and it does include legacy points. Now, the I will say that the tutorial is very just straightforward information, and it doesn't put a lot of this in context. So you will, you know, have to play the game before you kind of understand how it works. But it does give you information that would help answer those questions. Had I paid attention, had I checked the tutorial, I probably would have had a better grasp on some of this quicker. Thanks, and now back to the review. A tutorial. The reason I played the Age of Ulstrix mission is because the description says this is a three-chapter story aimed at new players. So I, so I kind of figured it was 
walking me through things a little bit slower than maybe some of the other missions would. All right. How complicated are the controls? It's turn-based, so is it just using the mouse and clicking on buttons? Or Yeah, I'm, I believe there are keyboard short keys, but for me, I just use the mouse. Um, when it's character A's turn, they become highlighted. It, there's a there's a grid overlay on the scenery that tells you where you can move. And when it's your character's turn, there's a certain number of grids around you that are green-colored or green-hued. This is how far you can move in one movement. If you move your mouse around, it will go to individual squares and it will show if they're green. If you go past the green, then you get a new overlay of yellow squares. These are squares that you can also move to, but it takes both of your actions to do so. So it's basically you're just moving and then you're done. Um, if you try to move past that, there's no color, so you can't go beyond the yellow. When you select like interfuse for the for the sorcerer mystic, anything you can interfuse with starts to have the sort of ripply magical effect around it, so you know if you can interfuse with it or not. If you want to attack a creature like with a bow, the there'll be a little graphic icon that will tell you whether or not it's in range. And let's say, for example, my character A has a bow is in square one. There's an enemy square 15. If I move my mouse somewhere in the middle, it will tell me if I can move there and if I can shoot from there. Okay. So it, it gives me all that information um, visually. I don't have to count. Well, I have a range of seven and I can move eight. So I know if I move eight, I'll be within seven. You just move your mouse around and it will basically show you, yes, you can move here. And if you move here, yes, you can attack or not. I like that. Yeah. That makes it easy for... People like me who just want to sit down and play and not think about that kind of stuff. Now, what it doesn't show you is what the enemies can do. And there have been several times where it seems like the enemies do a lot more than I thought they were going to be able to do, which is one of the reasons why I died so much early on, is they can their movement does not seem to be in any, any way related to character movement. Like, it seems like they can do a lot more uh, movement, I mean. I still think they have two things. They can move and attack. But it definitely felt like... I mean, it's, it's traditional turn-based stuff. Like, if you spread right. your characters out too far, and, like, you know, character A yep. jumps really far ahead and reveals a bad guy, they're probably going to die because you can't get your other people up to help in time. So I did a lot of little stagger steps. Like, I'd only be moving half-moving all the time trying to keep all my characters together. Fair enough. That makes sense. How good is the story? It's a role-playing game, so how in-depth does it get? How much did it pull you in? How invested were you getting into the characters? So that's that's a very interesting and kind of loaded question. I got really interested in the characters and the story they were telling much more than I cared about the story they were in. Okay. Uh, and this is one of the things that it, it, it's kind of, I don't know if surprise is the right word, but it was interesting to me how quickly big things were happening. So in between combats, sometimes you have these cutscenes where the characters interact with each other uh, and you can make some choices about, again, romantic leanings or rivalry leanings. So one of the first things that happened is Nanandra wants to go on, like, basically, what, like, what's a side quest? And she pulls everyone along, and they climb up this really high mountain. This is all told in, like, comic panel uh, cutscenes. Uh, right. So nothing's moving. It's all stationary, but, like, a card will slide in has an image of the characters as word balloons like a comic then there's another panel then another panel and i finally got to the top of the mountain and there's this egg in a nest and i have the choice do you want to go for the egg or not and this is the first time i get that choice there's a 45 percent 
chance in the box that says, yes, go for the egg. So it's, the way I read that is I have a 45% chance of success at getting this egg or not. Okay. I decided not to risk that. So I just said, everybody goes away. Right after we went away, the mother crag eagle, which is like a rock in D&D, mm-hmm. like a gigantic bird shows up, uh, tries to fight my characters. This again happens in cutscene. It, it, we're able to fend off, but the, the mother eagle drops a feather, which turns out to be a plus one health token. And I was able to give it to Nanandra. So even though I chose not to actually go after the egg, something still happened. I have no idea what would have happened if we would have went for the egg and I succeeded or if I went for the egg and failed. I have a feeling that probably somebody would have died because that's the way this game seemed to work. All right. Uh, but one of the other ones that happened is Ursi, who was my uh, female um, hunter, basically like a ranger. There's a cutscene between one of the battles where she feels a presence. Basically, this, this sort of spirit comes out and it's like a dark form, almost like a ghost with red eyes and talks to her and says, you know who I am. She says, I can't remember and offers, will you join with me? Will you become one with me again? And you have the choice of saying yes, no, or hell no. (laughs) And I said, yes, let's see what happens. So Ursi joins with the spirit and now she has wings. She's like, has these black angel wings. Next time we go into combat, her movements like tripled. I can move all over the freaking board with this lady. She can't fly, so she's not above, you know, it's not like a 3D level, but her movement was crazy increased because of her joining with this thing. Later on, um, this essence inside her wants to try to fight for control. So I then again have another option of trying to say, um, sure, I will join with you more fully or not. The second time I decided to push it out and now she has dragon horns and a claw hand and all the art in all the cutscenes reflect this so like if you pick up a sword next time there's a cutscene your character has that sword if you drop it and oh, you pick good. up a pitchfork next time there's artwork you see that character with the pitchfork so it's all it makes sense and, and, and carries on uh in one of the other cutscenes, a boric who is my mystic gets a splinter and they all try to get it out but it seems to be wiggling on its own trying to avoid getting pulled out. So eventually I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. Well, then his hair starts to turn green. And there's a little note that pops up that says he now has a connection with a druidic spirit. But I don't know what that means. But but apparently that splinter infected him or or possessed him and his hair starts turning green. Weird. So later in every other image, he now has green hair. So like right away, these really kind of interesting things are happening. At the end of the story, the chapter one, you're fighting a Gorgon. I, I was able to defeat it. And you find what they call an Epicris, which basically looks like a D12 with a bunch of symbols on it. The first time I played through this, I apparently made a, a choice. I don't even remember what it was. And that Epicris gets lodged into one of the character's eyes, blinds them, but they now have mage sight through it. Things like this happen all the time in this game. Just crazy story changes with like this huge world that I know nothing about because it's, you know, I don't have any experience with it, but you're constantly given choices that have real interesting ramifications on what you pick. And I really got into that. I like that. So it's got good replayability. Yeah. I said, I played the same exact game three times, three different ways. And each time I was prevented with different choices based off of the initial characters that I chose, like their personalities, 
if I chose for them to be rivals or romantic or whatever, like every time it felt different. And the and then the scene choices were different too. Like I didn't get the one with Ursi able to become like a winged creature until the third playthrough. That was not an option on either of the first two. Now there could only be six of these and I've got five of them. I don't know. But every time I've played it, it has been very different. Oh, that sounds fun. I like that. I hate games where you play through it once and you're like, ah, I'm done. I could play it again, but yeah. The combat got easier. Uh, just just figuring out like the, the first couple times I said I lost characters like crazy. Uh, but yeah, this, this third time I played through, I did not lose a battle. I didn't even come close to losing a battle, which, which felt good. I mean, that's not a negative. It's just like I finally understand what I'm doing, make good choices. And um, I, you know, I was rewarded for that. The, the system mastery, as it were, felt good to me. Now, I, I assume again, over time, the battles would get tougher. I don't, I don't want to win every battle easily, but it was nice to win those battles easily because I'd already been through them before. Right. That makes sense. Uh, what are some of the things you love about the game? The the level up, again, I don't know if you call them mechanics, but every time you level up, you get three options of something that you can do and you can add to your character. And um, usually they're either passive, so these are just things that are always on, or they're, a- they're an active thing that you have to choose. So with Ursi, during one of her levels up, she became a blue horn hunter, and she was presented with three options. And I'll just go over these options. I won't go over all of them. But each time they're, they're evocative like this. So with her, she was able to choose Soul Strike, which was RC attacks with potency instead of bonus damage. And her attack is mitigated by warding instead of armor. So it's kind of like a magical attack from what I can tell where, she, you know, the defense is not the armor around them, but it's like some sort of magical defense. Rogue, which is passive, every time Ursi kills an enemy, she enters the gray plane for free. So that's that sort of like sneak, hide in plain sight stealth ability they have. So when you go into the gray plane, you're sort of invisible. So basically every time she kills someone, she pops in for free and doesn't have to take an action. Or Aid, which is active, she can use an action to heal an adjacent target. And to this point, there's no in-combat healing other than Aid. Um, a couple other characters have had a chance to get that particular skill, but that's so far, that's the only time I've ever come across where you can actually get in combat healing. So just, again, actually, a couple of the other ones I saw were Viciousness, you get plus damage to attack. Zealous Leap, you can uh, make a daring leap three spaces away. Shield Spear, uh, once every other turn as a swift action, uh, you shred two of a foe's armor with her weapon. So basically there's like, a, when you attack... You can attack damage, or you can also, sometimes you get uh, armor negation, like you weaken their armor for further attacks. Uh, so yeah, so every time you level up, level up, you get three options for what how you increase your character's power, uh, and what you take really defines how they're going to play on the field and what they can do. Uh, and the last time I played through, after I beat the, the chapter one of the three-chapter story, we were... Uh, granted nine years of peace. So again, time being a mechanic, we had nine years where the bad guys weren't doing anything bad. And the next cutscene, I got to make some choices about what happened in those nine years. Okay. I like that. What were some of your frustrations with the game? Uh, combat. Early on, I didn't know how it worked, and I kept losing characters. Uh, the, the bad guys being able to do more than... I thought they were going to, not necessarily more than they should have done, but more than I thought they were based off of me moving my characters and what I can do with them. That's how I got characters killed early on is I would get them too far apart 
And then these bad guys would move much further than I thought they could. And then like one attack would all but kill one of my characters. I would then move them back trying to retreat, but I couldn't move as far as they could. So then they would catch up and kill me. So there's definitely a learning curve to the combat, learning how best to use your movement, uh, keep your characters together, maximize the scenery. You can use it for cover as well. So the first, like the first time I played it, I, I didn't play it very long because I lost like very quickly. I was losing characters. I'm like, this isn't fun. So I turned it off. About a week later, I decided to give it another try. Knew a little bit more about this time. I made it a little bit further. I made it through the end of the chapter one. I uh, thought it was okay. Tried it again. This third time playthrough, I actually really liked it. Like the, 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 the learning curve was a detriment to me. Being someone who does not play a lot of games like this is very possible. That's the reason, not the game itself. But I definitely will continue playing it at this point. I, I, I have the, the key. I, I don't know. Again, I don't know what this means. I don't know if this means I have the game forever or if they can turn it off at some point in time. Uh, but this is the game that I will play in my free time. Nice. Speaking of free time, how much of that will it take? So, again, I, actually, I wish I had pulled that up. I think the last time I played through, I got through chapter one of the three-chapter story in about an hour and a half of playtime. Okay. So I would assume it takes about four to five hours to finish the entire uh, three-chapter story, though that assumes that they're all the same length and they don't get longer in between. And I believe there's five or six missions currently in the beta. So, uh, you know, I, th- I think it would be easy to say 30 hours right now would be a, a kind of mid-ball est- mid estimate of how much playtime that there is in this game. Okay. And each time you sit down, is it easy to... If you want to play for 10 minutes, play for 10 minutes, or are you stuck for an hour? Yeah, you can stop literally any time. I, I don't know if you can stop in the middle of a battle. never tried. But okay. at any time, you can just save the game and stop, and then when you come back, you pick up right where you left off. Uh, the time investment's an important question, I think, for us married guys. Yeah. We don't want to get sucked into a game and have the, the spouse get upset. Or just have to leave in the middle without saving it because X, Y, or Z happened. So, like, Absolutely. if you have the kids need something if the dog needs let out whatever um there is a pause so you can pause in the middle of a battle uh but as far as like stopping saving i've I've done that outside of combat in multiple places all right and it's pretty age friendly for all ages i well i mean some of the there was nothing too gritty or graphic and like even when the characters became romantically involved there was never any overt sexualization it was just sort of like they're romantic now. They're you know they're they're together, but there were no like cutscenes where people were like banging each other or whatever. Yeah, um, off camera. Off camera, exactly. Lines and veils. But um, myself, I have a I have a nine year old, or an eight year old, and soon to be ten year old. I don't know that they would be able to handle the combat, though. Honestly, maybe they can better than I do. But it <laughs> it seems to me like you would probably need to be 12, 13, 14 before you'd be able to manage the combat. But that's me talking out of my butt. I don't really know. Right. No, well, I understand. And I feel your pain with handing video games to my kid. I do that a lot. Here, get me through this level. I can't figure <laughs> it out. He does it. He either does that or cheats and goes on YouTube and watches somebody else do it. Well, so my never, kids, like John Gabriel plays Minecraft all the time. That's what he's into. He loves it. And he knows everything about the game. He's, again, he's watched a bunch of YouTube videos. He knows how all the things work. He can do everything in there. But like when we play um, Marvel Ultimate Alliance, I'm better at it than they are. When we play Star Wars Battlefront, I'm better at it than, than they are. So it's not like they're bad, but just, again, I've played those games so much. 
Uh, so it's not like they're terrible at playing games, but I don't know the strategy element. Just I don't maybe it's just my kids. Like I don't f- see that fitting in their wheelhouse. I don't okay. think they're really into the strategy based games to the point that they would already be good at them. But I don't know. That might be something fun to try is to turn it on for one of them. Say, hey, play this for a little while and then talk to them. Yeah, fair enough. I feel you with Minecraft. My son plays hours with his friends. They do uh, tons of different missions. They have their own little area that they build things and play Capture the Flag or Survivor. Uh, there's a bunch of different yeah, ones. Yeah, there's a bunch of different things. The Survivor one I think is neat, but that's off topic. W- what grade would you give this game? So when we do a normal The Review, we have different categories. We talk about art, layout, crunch, fluff, and overall. That doesn't fit exactly here. Um, okay. So I will say for art, basically the graphics of the game, they, they're they kind of cool. That, again, I, I wish I could come up with a better word to describe them other than children's pop-up book because I don't want to give people the wrong impression. But that's what it reminds me of. And yeah, I agree. Based on the combat and, and how the game is working, I think that fits very well. So I think, you know, whether you like it or not, it fits what they're trying to do. So I'm going to give it a B plus. I think the art works. I think it looks cool. It, it's inviting. It doesn't, you know, it's not off-putting. It's not unsettling. It's not too cutesy so that I'm like, yeah, this is a kid's game. Uh, so I think it works. So I'm going to give it a B plus. Can't really talk about layout other than like the UI. The interface seems to be user-friendly for me you, know, you pick your mission you pick your difficulty level uh, you have your little cards that come up and you can almost like a slot machine push the button and zip through and pick out the ones you want so the interview inter- interface is fine so i'm gonna give that a b plus as well the story it's okay I, again i like the story of the characters interacting more than i liked of the story of the game itself maybe because i just didn't get far enough in to really reveal the evil machinations of the bad guy so for this i was mostly just doing you know random fights uh so i'm gonna give it a b plus as well and then okay. uh overall makes sense it's a b plus i you know i've played games i like more but this is a fun game i'm glad i have access to it i plan on playing it more i do like the fact that it's a role play-ish game and you get to level up and you get new powers uh, the one thing that I would like that I that I haven't seen yet, and I don't know if that's just something that uh, I don't have access to yet or whatever, uh, I would like to be able to take a higher level character and start the game over and play through it with these new abilities just to see how much a difference these powers make. I mean, it, and in some ways, like it's like a power trip fantasy. Right. Uh, same thing like Marvel Ultimate Alliance. I sometimes like to take a really high level character and start over just to see how it feels different. Because the game's probably, in my mind, going to level up. Like, as I get more powerful, the bad guys get more powerful. So in a way, everything's always equal. I have more choices, but then the bad guys have more resources to use against me. So it's not really any easier. It's just more options, and that becomes the the game, is can I use my resources effectively against their resources? But sometimes it's fun just to take that eighth-level character, drop them in against level ones, and just have fun wiping them out. So I'd like to be able to take a high level character, go into a low level area and see, and just see how much more powerful these characters are when they're not being leveled up accordingly and the challenge is leveling up equally to them. A lot of games do that. I I enjoy that too. Especially if you go into an area you struggled on the first time. Yeah. And you just throw that big like AOE and it just wipes everything out. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, like, it's just ah. fun sometimes. I don't want to do, I don't want the whole game to be that easy, but sometimes I like to, 
I like to do that. Uh, again, granted, I did play this on JK rolling level. I don't know how much more difficult the battles would be on HP Lovecraft. I don't know how much easier they would be on C.S. Lewis. So again, those are things I just didn't explore. Maybe I should. This is my first video game review. If anyone listens to this and you're like, okay, this is how you do a video game review. This is what you should have looked at. Let me know. I'm, I'll, I will gladly take those notes and try to apply them to any future video game reviews that I do. Uh, this is the first one. I agree. I would have started at the medium or average level and played through it there. You don't want to go through the easy because then you're probably missing out on some of the strategy. And you don't want to just spend the first time through getting kicked in the teeth so to speak over and over and over again yeah because i'll just turn you off to the game i agree uh i guess the only other thing i would ask is uh you know give me your your, your elevator pitch if you were to meet me in an elevator and try to talk to me about the game what would you say so it's a quick to get into but robust strategy tactical strategy game with fun art and interesting character choices nice uh, anything we missed? I don't think so. Um, I'm, I'm looking, I'm trying to look over my notes. So when I got to the end of the, the scene, they gave, like, a, like at the end of the chapter, Nanandra got a negative 25 charisma and a plus 35 loner uh, uh, like adjustment. And then okay. Boric got a plus 10 retirement age. I don't exactly know what all those mean. I would assume that the charisma has to do with the interaction between the PCs, like how likely okay. she would be to be in a relationship or go into a rivalry. Um, and then the retirement age, again, because age is such a, or so since time is such a big part of this game, I'm guessing that after a while, the characters have to retire because they're just old. You know, again, we, I, nine years jumped from the end of this game to the next. So if the character started at 18, they're, what, 27 now? Yeah. So there's a chance around 40 they have to retire. So Boric, probably because of this druid sliver splinter in his finger, um, can now retire 10 years later. So that's interesting. I don't know exactly what those mean yet, but I'm interested to find out. And I think that's kind of a cool... Um, mystery? Cool mystery. And, and it's something it's it makes me want to know what that means. So, And I'm interested to see what happens with Ursi and these wings and this demon thing inside of her, apparently, that I got rid of. And now she has blown, bone claws. Um, like I want to see where that goes. Sounds like the game's got you hooked. It, it does. Like I'm, I'm interested in going back and playing it again. I don't play a lot of video games, so this isn't something I'm gonna sit down and play for thirty hours. But I'm gonna play it enough to at least get through all three chapters of this first chapter, and then, and then at that point, I'll probably decide if I want to keep playing or not. But it's fun. Again, B plus solid. Uh, I nice. think I have no idea when it's coming out. I have no idea what's going to cost when it does. <laughs> But I'm really glad I have access to it, and I plan on keep playing it. Well, hopefully they reach out to you when it does come out and let us know all that so we can tell people. But yeah, I uh, you know if I, if I do get more information between now and when this is released, or just even after the fact, I will update the show notes. So if you want to, if you're listening to this and you're interested, check the show notes because if I have any additional information, I will put it there. Links to buying the game or any other information I have. Awesome. Well, I'm intrigued. I really like the time as a resource. I love turn-based strategy games. I'm not a big fan of the real-time ones. That might just be because I'm getting older and my reflexes aren't yeah. as quick as these 15, 16-year-olds. And I like how you describe the environment, how you have characters that can interact with that and use it to your advantage. Sounds fun. Hopefully they'll get it out soon and I can start playing. <laughs> 
Well, I hope so as well. Chris, thank you so much for joining me. I know this oh. was sort of last minute on your part. Um, uh, yeah. Thanks for having me on. I, I love coming on and talking with you about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Happy to have you. Um, and uh, maybe I'll be able to get you a key so you'll be able to play and maybe we can do a, a follow-up sometime in the future. But, uh, but I had fun playing the game and that's all that matters because remember, you're having fun. You're doing it right. You're doing it right. Thanks and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.